you would please join me in First Chronicles chapter 29. First Chronicles 29. Tonight's passage is going to be verse 14. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we confess with David that we are nothing in your sight, that we bring nothing of any worth or value to, uh, to you in our worship, but that we know that you are pleased with a humble and contrite heart. And so we pray that you would work humility and contriteness in us in our worship now as we consider your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It is an all but established truism in evangelicalism today that God exists for man to solve all of man's problems especially his problems of self-worth and self-esteem, take away his loneliness and sadness and his anxieties. To make each of us the exact center of our own little universe in which even Christ revolves around us. Jesus thought the world of you, so he came and gave his life for you and is now just aching away in heaven hoping you'll notice him. So won't you please acknowledge him and he'll be the best boyfriend you ever had. The Lord has a different assessment of the situation, though. And so every now and then we come across a line in Scripture that there is just no way we can imagine it coming from the mouth of someone in our modern culture. Think of Naomi in the book of Ruth, the Almighty, has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty's brought calamity upon me. Or how about Paul writing Timothy? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. You just don't hear people talk like that today, not in the church and certainly not in the world. That kind of talk makes us uncomfortable. We want to uh, quickly shut it down with a, a half-hearted comfort. <gasps> Naomi, don't, don't say that. Brother Paul, no, no, you're blessed and highly favored. The joy of the Lord is our strength. If we're honest, sometimes that, sometimes that talk makes us uh, a little upset. Who let this wet blanket in here? Well, tonight's verse is one of those scriptural appraisals of ourselves and how we ought to approach the Lord in worship, and it's coming from the lips of King David. It's towards the end of his life, and he's gathered at the head of the sacred assembly, leading a who's who of Jerusalem and giving a free will offering to the Lord after having given an incredible sum of gold, silver, bronze, iron, precious gems, exotic woods, 
David prays these words, and again, it's the 14th verse of chapter 29. There he says, But who am I and what is my people, that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. Many of us here today know at least one person whose eyes would roll so hard in their head if they heard someone express that kind of attitude. How am I supposed to rejoice and be glad in the Lord if I have to listen to that? Maybe sometimes some of us are that person. We know from today's sermon that Judas would have had some choice words to say after seeing David give so generously and say such things. But David says, who am I that I should be able to thus offer freely? On the one hand, our world, our cultural context makes worship a man-centered, man-uplifting experience. It makes worship the stage for man's self-expression of authenticity. If we're all involved to look and see just how spiritual we are, the modern church is where the heart of Jehu goes to be seen. Come, see my zeal for the Lord. But David's worship is the reverse of that. He focuses on how unworthy he is to even have the privilege of offering to the Lord everything that he has. Not just himself, but the whole of Israel. They're all right there with him, by the way. It might go over a little awkwardly today if he did that. Maybe someone in the crowd's thinking, hey man, speak for yourself. But he seems to see all the reasons he shouldn't have such favor with the Lord. Maybe he's thinking of his numerous failures, murder, adultery, failure to rein in his sons, dragging his kingdom into civil war. It's beyond his understanding anyway that he should be fortunate enough to be able to give so lavishly to the Lord and to the building of his temple. Now, on the other hand, look at how David's prayer casts the focus on the Lord. The unspoken assumption is, who am I compared to you? What is my people compared to you? What have I given that you have not first given to me? David says, for all things belong to you, and of your own have we given you. His Heart is in a state of despairing. What now can I give? What could you possibly give to repay such a good and generous God? And we might say, well, don't give him $4 billion in gold. Seems a bit excessive. uh, Maybe a little more practical. Maybe just uh, give him your Sunday mornings. He'll get the sentiment. Is that how we should feel, though? Is that the, is that the rational response? Because I'm inclined to believe that David's giving of such a huge response, a huge amount of money, reflects 
his love for the Lord so much because he was forgiven much and blessed to participate in such a glorious undertaking as the building of the temple, even in an indirect way. Don't hear me wrong, I'm not telling you to give absolutely everything that you have to the church, but I am saying that how we use our money, our time, our gifts, our talents, all the things that the Lord has given to us should reflect that we have a heart and a desire to use it to worship the Lord, that no amount would be too much. Most of you involved, uh, most of you here are involved in uh, some ministry or another, either teaching, or preaching, or various services. All of you are back here on a Sunday evening when you already spent your morning here. Unless you're listening to this uh, later on because you weren't here, in which case, may the Lord be your judge. <clears throat> we learn here from David, though, an important lesson about worship that we exist to worship Christ. <laughs> he has given all things in perfect measures to each of us as aids to worship. And the worship is not an end, to the su- or in, end in itself. It's not something to prop us up, to show our piety, to make us feel good. It doesn't exist for us to affirm one another and how great and spiritual we all are to enjoy some emotional trip, but worship, we learn from David, is an opportunity to forget ourselves and to live in intimate fellowship with Christ. It's an opportunity to see all good and perfect gifts as from his hand and as an invitation to die to this world and to yourself and enjoy him to Uh, Choose to use that time that he's given you to enjoy uh, being in his word or in prayer. What joy will you have with it if it's not spent freely and joyfully to the Lord? And what can your money possibly buy that will satisfy like serving the Lord from a clear conscience and an upright heart? David says that, The Lord tests the heart and takes pleasure in uprightness, and it is this worship and sacrifice that comes from a broken and contrite heart that is the offering that he truly desires. So let us learn from Scripture, from David and from Mary and her uh, offering that we saw this morning, what true worship looks like. We pray that the Lord would keep such thoughts of self-forgetfulness and humility in us that we may freely and joyfully give all things to enjoy fellowship and intimacy with Christ and to count it all as pure gain. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the blessing of being called to enter into your house with praise and thanksgiving on our lips and to worship your son and to enjoy the fellowship and communion that we have together. We pray that we would count no cost as too great from enjoying this great and blessed endeavor and pray that you would receive the praise of our hearts. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.